question becomes, where do we go from here? Exactly where, when COVID finally succeeds, succeeds and we, we get a vaccine, um, how does, what does it look like after that? Are we back to doing house parties only? Are we back to, you know, people just back to meeting in parks and things? You know, I mean, I know there are apps. So it's like, you know, but that interpersonal right. human feel is so important. And we don't want to be fought too hard to have these clubs. And we want to lose them. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting the clubs that are around. And we, we want to make sure that we're doing what we can. And we want to make sure that the government is doing what it can. Right. And so... With that being said, I just want to thank Jamal and Jameer. I'm going to let you guys go on and finish introducing yourselves. And um, I'm going to try to get Alexi in, and if not, he's going to probably end up having a call in. But again, thank you all so much for joining us so far. And if you could, while you're here, definitely leave a comment, ask a question, and we're looking forward to answering those. And Google these places, because they're not going to be there. You know, and even some places that were gay-friendly, straight, but gay-friendly, they're closed. So in D.C., I could have posted Brixton because after this weekend, they're going to be on an indefinite suspension. So we want to make sure that we're doing what we can to kind of point this out because this may go under the radar for the majority community. So Jamal and Jimmy. Sure. All right, Jamal. All right. Hey, brother. Hey. <laughs> um... Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, you know, I think about a lot of the true, you know, gay bars that were never all things, all LGBTQ and really caring about them. Really, it means reckoning the histories and exactly what Derek was touching on. It's really about understanding the exclusion that a lot of the bars had really had when it had to do with women, with transgender people, but also people of color. And I think scholars had once described them as the primary social institutions. But of gay and lesbian life, they just haven't been that way in years. And really for many LGBTQ people, you know, they just really serve that purpose. So. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Alexi. Um, I was about to join by phone. I don't know if you can hear me fine. We can hear you. Hi, Alexi.
So, if you can see on Facebook, the bar that is pictured in this article, this NBC News article, I believe is the Alibi. It is located in Harlem, New York. And the man in the picture is the owner, Alexi, and he's gonna introduce himself. But we wanted to make sure that we not only introduced, but promoted the business as well. Um, guys, if you're in New York or if you're gonna be up that way, definitely drop by the alibi. Drop by the alibi. Oh, Drop by the alibi and, um, and, and have a drink or a sip or two. And, the cocktail. Right. And before I fully turn this over to Jamal and Jameer so they can get started with the questioning piece of the program, I definitely want to shout out our supporters. So I think Project Briggs has been a supporter of GPMC from the first days. And so, Raheem Briggs, I want to thank you for uh, supporting and for joining in. On Monday the 9th, Project, Project Briggs will be doing a happy hour um, in support of their community service events. So, in the, in the uh, visit, uh, Amir Briggs, I believe, on, on Instagram, and Project Briggs, the website. You can definitely check out the flyer information. It's going to be a great time. We look forward to supporting it as well. And as Project GPMC, you can follow us on Facebook at GPMC.DC. If you're watching this video, then you're already there. So just <laughs> like or follow or subscribe. And the last one is Instagram at GPMCDC.org. And um, I think that's the only shout outs I needed to do at this point. So, Jamal and Jimmy. Thank you so much, Derek. Thanks, Derek. So, we're going to get started. I'm going to. Um, get started with talking about a little bit of history. Uh, people who know me know I am a history buff. So I want to talk back with the DC Clubhouse and then tie that into uh, what's going on today and with Alibi Harlem. From 1975 to 1990, the DC Clubhouse was a focal point of gay African American social life in DC. DC Clubhouse gained popularity and people came from across the United States and even national borders to visit. It was a dance club known for its unique blend of disco and house music and its support of the African American community, serving as a space for age educational form. Like with so many LGBTQ and Black LGBTQ spaces, the DC Clubhouse closed in 1990. The impact and stories live on in the lives of people who were in attendance. We are excited to talk to Alexi Minko, the owner of Alibi Harlem, a safe space for the LGBTQ community that pushed through and faced the impact of hate, COVID, and still stands. You know, businesses across the country are struggling to keep up with the financial pressures amid closures and the continued restrictions due to COVID-19. Like Alibi, having a space where LGBTQ people can simply exist in their own skin and experience without judgment or pressure to hide for the benefit of cisgender heterosexual people, we can enormously be beneficial. Gay bars have been shuttered by public places and closures really during this entire pandemic, but in March, more than half of the United States issued a statewide closure in orders of bars and restaurants, 
with the decline of the nightlife. This has really left LGBTQ people without a place to gather in public and LGBTQ workers without employment. There were only places where LGBTQ people could really gather in public and today often where people really regularly go to really just enjoy themselves and have fun. But going to a gay bar sometimes is still a rite of passage in every LGBTQ person that is even coming out. However, there is one LGBTQ restaurant bar that has been able to sustain through this pandemic and today we are super excited to discuss Alibi Harlem. Alexi, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. I'm really, really happy to be with you guys. And um, I was listening and you guys said actually everything. I, mean, <laughs> I can just finish the meeting. And <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I'm super Absolutely. I'm glad to have you. And I have the honor to ask you the first question. And that question will be, um, what is... what? inspire you to move to New York City in Harlem? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I've been living in New York for 15 years, so actually I don't remember what inspired me <laughs> to move to New York. But um, no, I, it, it was a dream, you know, since I was a child. I think I came here when I was, uh, I was, I was little and I knew that's where I was going to be. And then Harlem, it's, um, there was a movement about, because I used to live downtown about six, seven years ago. A lot of people realized that actually Harlem was uh, was the place to be and uh, and when I decided when I became a homeowner you know I, I knew that you know this is where I wanted to you know live my life and have a, you know have a place I would go home it was Harlem so it, it was really just coming back home pretty much um, and then uh, yeah that was five years ago today nice um Alexi hi so this is Ju- I did too I was like I felt that uh, Lexi, this is Jameer. Um, you know, why did you wa- really want to work in, in the restaurant industry? Um, you know, well, um, this is like therapy. Um, <laughs> and it turned out, you know, I have, it's actually not really a restaurant, you know, Alibi is pretty, it's a lounge, a club. Now we have to have a little bit of food before, no. I have no talent in life, you know, except getting drunk. Um, <laughs> so... Um, no, because to be honest, uh, you guys were kind of talking about it in the intro. I I love gay neighborhoods. I absolutely love. I've always lived in the LGBTQ uh, neighborhood. You know, uh, wherever I lived, when I moved to Harlem, I was shocked to realize that there was actually nothing um, that, that was available, and I, w- I wanted to be my own boss. And uh, and the easiest thing to do is to sell alcohol. So that's what it came to me. <laughs> Jamal is shaking his head, by the way. <laughs> you said uh, alcohol. Full <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. disclosure, I'm watching you on Facebook. I'm just speaking. <laughs> I, know, I wasn't able to join, uh, but I can see all. Of, I can see the two of you on Facebook. So, Fantastic. Uh, okay. I, uh, I have a little advantage. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you. Um, what challenges did you face opening up Alibi? How was the community reaction did they come in the numbers when you first opened your doors or did it take time uh, in terms of challenges um you know you have to be prepared and i think what what it is that i i really uh, i was really well prepared and it's not my first uh time the radio i only i already on two lounges so i knew what to do and what to do 
in terms of the community, uh, it took a little time because uh, even today, you know, people still come in and say, oh, I didn't know there was a gay bar here and I live across the street, which I find very interesting. <laughs> so um, it, uh, we, we really have to make sure that um, we were doing everything right, we were communicating right, um, but we got a lot of help with, uh, you know, the Harlem, Harlem community itself, Harlem, we have our own kind of media here, newspaper, you know, the, the, the different newspaper, and then there was an article about it, about it, and uh, the very next day, you know, it was like Jumanji, the movie, you know, people just rushed in, and then from the moment on, you know, it, it progressed in history, and we've been there for a little bit over four years, and, um, and you know, we're still, we're still here, we're still here. With that time period and with, you know, people still questioning, oh my gosh, is this a gay bar? And you've been here for four years. How did you really deal with the conflicts of, let's just say the straight population that was in the Harlem world, as we say, really involving just you, yourself or, you know, even with coworkers, if you've had any stories with that also? That's a very good question. Um, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm myself presumptuous, but I think I'm a bi really um, changed the culture, you know, by being there. And I think I'm realizing it now. Uh, because at first, uh, you know, at first clearly it was 110% LGBTQ bar, you know. And then within, after, like, maybe because we're going to talk about it later, after the events of last year, the the entire neighborhood of Harlem wanted to show us that there was problems. They really, they came to me and they said, listen, we don't let you know, this is not, Harlem value, like we don't do that, we don't. And they've literally started coming one by one. And at some point, we actually had, <laughs> some people are gonna be mad at me, but we actually had specific straight nights because <laughs> they, were, they would come, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, they would come and invade the lounge. And then my people would be like, really? No, 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 okay, we'll come back tomorrow. So um, Tuesday and Thursday had become actually majorly straight nights. Of course, you know, everybody was welcome, but, um, I'm gonna say uh, the last two years, you know, this is when I, I saw the shift. Well, all of a sudden, you know, uh, black straight men will just walk in and you know uh, say hi and order their honey and, and you know honey on the rocks and move on. You know, so yeah. um, no, no, it was it was uh, there was a shift, and I have to say that I think uh, the fact that we we remained open despite anything that happened, you know, kind of impacted the culture um, or. or the way people see things uh, in, in Harlem. Not, I mean, we, we're not a magical solution, but I'm just saying it may involve uh, some mentality. And we, we've, been, we've, been, we've been happy, actually, with the community, with the entire community of Harlem. It's beautiful. Awesome. Uh, now, Camille touched on the conflict, and we've read, you know, Alibi has been vandalized, the flags burned, robbed, and shut down. What keeps you motivated to continue where many people would have said, you know, I'm walking away from this. What keeps you motivated to keep Alibi Harlem open despite the challenges from people? Well, I, I, I did say I'm walking away from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, at, at some point, um, in, I think it was in April, I was already, I was done. I had, um, I had already sent to my landlord um, the list of surrender because I was done with everything. It was right after my assault. Um, this week, for example, last Wednesday, I, I almost sent you an email, guys, to say we're going to uh, cancel the program because <laughs> um, I got a threat. And I mean, it's like every Tuesday, I got a, a 
me up because I refused to host uh, a stripper night at Alibi. I mean, so all of those things, you know, there are moments when I say I'm walking away, like I don't deserve it. I'm a good person. But um, then, <laughs> then you turn around and, and you see when the face of the faces of people when they work in, in, in the bar, you know, when you see, um, uh, you don't open one day and people are sending you messages like, what is going on, you know? I mean, it's the resilience that I think, I've, I talked about it a lot, it's the resilience that we all have in us. I think when you're um, LGBTQ and then when you're black, it's my own opinion, you're born with a, a different set of skills and you, until the, it's over, it's not over. So that's what kept me going is the fact that, you know, Alibi had more uh, stories to tell. There was, there was more to do. There was, and quite frankly, if Alibi was to close, where else would people go? Right. Uh, what message would it send to, 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 you know, to maybe a, a younger black man or black woman or black transgender uh, uh, who would decide to get into business, you know, not necessarily a bar, I hope, <laughs> but, you know, that uh, another black business that failed. So, you know, it's all of those things that, you know, you, you, you don't go to bed at night thinking, oh, I'm defeated. No, 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 you go to bed and you say, you know, I gotta get back on the horse tomorrow when I wake up. Right. I, I appreciate that because I was watching a video of you and um, they were talking about the rainbow flags being burned right outside your bar. And you said, as long as the alibi still stands, there will be a rainbow flag just <laughs> outside your building. So I, I respect that. Yes. Um, you know, the, the rainbow flags have been a statement from day one, from absolutely day one. and. And I remember um, a lot of people kind of telling me, it's a, it's a wrong business move because if you put a red bull flag, it's going to deter the straight community from coming in. And to be honest, it's actually true. Um, you know, I say all the time, a lot of, of the businesses that you see in my industry are owned by gay LGBT people, you know, uh, but they decide not to be up, um, open about it. Because business-wise, when you have to generate revenues, you have to make the numbers in order to pay your rent, the taxes, and everything. When you are openly LGBTQ establishment, you cannot become marginalized. So, but um, but it's something that I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it for the world because you know, uh, it makes us unique. It makes us um, remarkable. It makes us. Uh, uh, standing out and uh, stand out. I mean, and uh, and it makes us. I mean, and it makes us like you said earlier that that safe heaven, that 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 place where you know anyone can just remember. Oh wait a minute, the rainbow flags when I pass by, you know, and uh, and call it home. All right. You know, it's interesting with every single thing that you just said, um, and I want you to kind of think about this question. What is your definition of inclusivity? think that you know uh unfortunately it's not the case but that we we could all it's gonna sound cheesy but we could all live happily uh ever you know uh after together it's a whether we're gay straight transsexual uh whatever you know and, and i think being inclusive for me that's what it is it's the fact that when i put the rainbow uh flagged outside it's, it's for the for my people to know that it's in hope okay but it's also to let everybody else know that they are welcome to come. Right. And 
you know, to come to a place actually going to be maybe a little bit more fatherless, a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little bit more funky than the, 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 the next door, but uh, they are still welcome uh, to come. And listen, I say all the time, uh, uh, a, a, a glass of Hennessy is not straight, gay, white, purple. It's a glass of Hennessy. And if you come to drink it, it won't turn you into anything else than what you are already. So quite frankly, uh, that's what inclusivity is. It's for everyone to come and share a drink together. You know, we, we listen to <laughs> I mean, that's what I think. And uh, and I, this is why I think why uh, with everything that happened, you know, um, the, the people rallied around us to, to to make sure that we were we were able to survive this. My motto. With COVID, did you seek help from the state of New York for COVID relief? How was that process? How was that experience for you? <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> um, I, I, I did seek help from the state of New York, from the federal government, um, and I received uh, at first nothing, uh, absolutely nothing. And then when finally I got something, um, it was for five months, <laughs> you know, uh, we tried, I think, three or four times. And I think it's on the last try that we got $5,000. So it, 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 it was very difficult to see that, uh, you know, we, we worked so hard all these years. Mm-hmm. That paid us a huge amount of taxes. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I was being denied, uh, I was being denied uh, help. Which I think, which I think we all deserve. Being denied help because, uh, you know, I don't know, because big companies actually, the first time that was happened, or the second time, the big companies, you know, took the money, which I think was completely unfair. So uh, that's a, that's that, you, to answer your question, it, it was it was a terrible experience. In the process of, let's just say. Um, you know, during COVID and at the beginning, you know, how were you able just to protect your clients, but then also how were you able to protect your team? And I guess the second part of that question is moving forward post COVID, you know, what are your plans to, I guess, really protect your own okay, people? Could you repeat the first uh, part of the question? I lost you for a minute. That's okay. So how were you able to protect your clients and also how were you able to protect your team? You know, we, we have protocols in place. We, we work with a security company and everything. Uh, that that uh, those those, uh, those incidents, you know, are as people as they are. They're random. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think people always target the moment where you uh, you're vulnerable, in a sense. But you know, we, we in order, for example, to get insurance, you have to have uh, a bounded security company that has the same level of insurance that you have. And me being uh, you know being a lawyer by by nature, I tend to follow um, the letter of the law very closely because I feel the consequences. So, you know, we have this protocol in place, uh, we have a security company and everything. But unfortunately, for, for instance, the last break in, it was day, broad daylight when we were closed. You see? I was at home at 11 a.m. in the morning when uh, the security company called me. We have a security company, we have cameras to say, hey, listen, there's a break in an alibi. Uh, I couldn't believe that at 11 a.m. in the morning, someone would go in and, and literally take the door down, you know. 
uh, in order to, to, to fill whatever they store uh, inside. Mm. So uh, that, that's the, those, but those, you know, those, again, the, those incidents are horrendous. Trust me, it leaves a scar somewhere, but we, we make sure that, you know, uh, all of us are safe. Uh, and uh, in four years, you know, we live in a neighborhood where unfortunately violence is common. We're, we're very lucky, you know, we never had a shooting, we never had a fight, we, we never been to court, nothing. Except when people, you know, try to act like idiots once in a while. And then and there was a second part of, your, of the question, right? So the second part basically is, let's just say, in COVID as well, you know, what are your, your ideas on how to protect your team, you know, post-COVID, um, you know, health-wise? As well as you know yes. your clients that come into the building. Yes. Well, we have to follow. We, we I'm part of the um, small business association in New York State. I mean, they're everywhere. And um, I, just before, actually, I got on the call with you. We had another meeting. Uh, it's pretty much weekly, and they inform us on the procedures to uh, to, to to follow. They do regular checkups. Um, you know, for instance, we re- we do respect the six feet, uh, you know, distancing. We are blessed at Alibi to have a backyard, so which means that <laughs> I have all the outdoors in the front, the roadside, the sidewalk, and the backyard. You know, so people actually are mostly uh, uh, outside. Uh, we are in, inside. We're only getting 18 people in. You know, everybody wears masks. My team, we're 100% of the time wearing masks and gloves. We, we, we check people's temperature when they walk through the door. Ourselves, we get checked uh, regularly. Um, no, no, we, we, make, we take it very seriously. And I'm actually very proud to say that the city has been tracking, um, you know, like hotspots where COVID could be. And Alibi has always been passing the, that test with flying colors. We've never had, not even uh, a beginning of uh, suspicion there because I take those things very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. So there are measures that are, you know, very practical. You know, first of all, we have the state of New York that tells us what to do, <laughs> and uh, down to which cleaning products to buy. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. in order to to uh, to keep the the, the the space clean. So you just have to follow the instructions, and uh, and we we try to do our best. Good job on keeping everybody safe. And um, so with COVID and you mentioned about going to the state for help and mentioned that terrible experience of only getting $5,000, you had to turn to uh, GoFundMe, the GoFundMe campaign. Um, uh, A young man by the name of Malik, he was 21 years old and he helped bring more attention to the GoFundMe campaign that Alibi Harlem had put up, how was he able to gain the attention of the public or the community to get more funding? What strategy did he use to help get people to click and donate to Alibi? The, the young the young Malik Saka. Um, listen, I think, unfortunately, um, he, uh, he moved on to... Uh, some other things, but I, I wish because I wish I knew <laughs> what strategies. Um, I'm a little bit older than, than uh, everybody now. I think the only people my, my time at the pyramid. Uh, but he uh, he literally took my phone. You know, he took my he grabbed my phone from uh, from my hand and and just told me um, because I, when I saw the ghost on me, which again I don't even know what it is. I um, I, 
I had added, I asked for, I think, $6,000. You know, because I really answered if someone gives me uh, uh, 500, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. And he, um, he, uh, just, it's about a network, I think. It's about a, a group of friends who, uh, who decide that, you know, they're going to, to do something and they did it. Uh, as I'm still, still, sometimes I think about it and I, I'm, I'm, I would be eternally grateful to this kid. I would be eternally grateful to him, but I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, I'm baffled. I, I, I'd like him to give you uh, his secret, but he made it happen in, in only two days, I think. Only two days, he, he made the whole thing happen and, and it was brilliant. Uh, so the strategy, I think, is to activate you know, the, 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 the social media, because I think he went to uh, Twitter, Instagram, creating a, a campaign, you know, that attracts people's attention uh, and telling the story. It was, made, it was really telling the story of, uh, of Alibi. Um, you know, with everything that you're saying, I think is absolutely phenomenal. If you could take a moment and can you hear me okay? Yes. If you can we, think... We are speaking of which, yeah, if you don't mind, I have, there's a situation at the lounge. Um, the alarm just went on. Uh-oh. On the front of, because I think, hold on, if you just give me one second, I'm just, uh, sure. just going crazy there. So just one quick second. Sorry, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Jamal, thank you for this. This has been absolutely amazing. Yes, great questions, brother. <laughs> Good. Uh, definitely um, inspiring to talk to someone who continue on pushing through, not only through COVID, but mm-hmm. people in your own backyard, you know? Well, I think also, and in, in guys, first of all, thank you to everyone that is tuned in because this is exciting. And so researched. So while, while he's away, I want to. I want to just take the time to um, just come in. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's, my, that's my delay. <laughs> okay. I want to um, take the time to to basically... Can you guys hear me? We can. Okay. I want to take the time to say this. these have been some great questions. I don't know, Jamal, but with the research, and then I feel like Jameer with the hard hitters. Um, but I, I, I think this is very interesting because... As you know, it talks about being a business owner. You know, he's, you don't just step away. The business becomes your baby. So even doing a meeting, and I think that that's going to be something important that people should take away from this event that, um, is that it's inclusive. It's encompassing You're a business owner. And so you want to take a good look at that. I think it'd be very interesting to kind of hear, you know, after this conversation, so it lead up to your next questions, but to figure out, in DC, you know, even just getting started, mm-hmm. where how would one get started in something like this? And then this market is saturated when it comes to LGBTQ, but not as saturated when it comes to venues for black spaces where they feel welcome. Right. There's always the space that says, you know, come on in. But if you remember the song uh, with Billy Holiday saying, you can help yourself, but don't take too much. Correct. Mm-hmm. So the idea many times has been, you know, come on in, but just, you know, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like the, the same way when I go to the straight bars <laughs> with my gay friends and things like, you know, how comfortable are we really? You know, and so 
not feeling that it's actually really a safe space, but you still have to be aware of your surroundings, as you should be anywhere, but primarily in places that are for like straight clientels and things, but uh, we'll welcome your, your gay dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was a bar that I always think about that I remember when I first uh, began going out in DC and I went to this bar right, and it was predominantly, you know, Caucasian, predominantly white. And all of a sudden, within, I don't know what happened, but I, I missed a couple of years. And, and there was a shift. Black party <laughs> thing that focus on black. And I was like, this is very interesting. And then, of course, you know, you, you can see why. Because around them, everything was built up. As you can tell, it became much more expensive to operate there. And so, you know, I hate that we're always kind of sometimes the second thought. We're the second thought, but we're always the scapegoat because I think the reality is they know that we're the cash cow and they know that we're going to make sure that we take care of the community. And that's unfortunate that exactly what you're saying. We're always the second thought. June, Pratt Month, Rainbow Flag. (laughs) No flag. I I particularly enjoyed this Pride Month. I wish we, oh my God, if we had some bars open then. Because... I felt like this Pride Month became the Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Hey. Hey, Alexi, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good, good. I'm so sorry. The, 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 the staff put the wrong code for the alarm, so... Um, <laughs> so, so, the so time on, they were trying to call me. That's okay. No problem. So, Alexi, I, was just, I just came on because I was enjoying the questions and I wanted to point out that, you know, how encompassing the business was because you know at the business is kind of like your baby it's your child and so when you heard something was wrong you know you went running that's people gotta understand how dedicated you have Absolutely. to be to run a business <laughs> yes i i about it's my first my first child and it's four years old um as you imagine uh when oh, a four years old gets sick <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so um no it's it's uh it, it, you, you it's a perfect analogy when you're a small business owner, it, it, it's, it's your baby, it, it's your it's your kid, and uh, and like every parent, you know, you, uh, you 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 pay attention and you have to 24 seven. Um, I sleep about 20 minutes a day because uh, I have no other choice than always constantly uh, thinking about you know uh, what can I do to make sure that everything uh, goes well. You, you know, you're talking about COVID. Um, uh, measures, for example, this is the, the big thing. Every single day, we have to make sure that we, we, we follow the rules so that you know no one gets sick um, and all those kind of things. Uh, which is a lesson for anyone who wants to get into the business or any type of business is that you know you you become responsible. You become responsible for for your staff, for your customers, for your business, and and, and it's a there's no vacation pretty much. <laughs> um, you know. One of the things that Jamal and I discussed is that we're so proud of you. And I think, you know, having the conversation with Derek, Derek is extremely passionate about this this topic. And I think that's what we appreciate about this. One of the questions I wanted to know is when you're not working at Alibi, and I know it's your baby, you know, are you involved in any additional LGBTQ organizations that are in the city besides, you know, not the Small Business Association, but anything else? Um, yes, we. Um, I'm, I'm the vice chairman of uh, the uh, LGBTQ arm um, of the 
APNAN, mm -hmm. uh, which is you know, the Reverend Shafton organization. Uh, and shout out to uh, Cole Copper because she is uh, our chairman. She is ex excellent. Uh, she's a, a brilliant uh, lady from the South who mobilized uh, uh, really, you know, the. the uh, Alexa, yeah. before, you move, before you move further, I want to note that that's the national... Oh, uh, uh, the Dan, uh, yes, national... National Action uh, Network. I believe you're right. You said under Shaw the National Action Network, correct? Yes, that's it. That's, uh, that's the... Uh, they're, they're located here in Harlem on 145th Street, uh, oh. which is like 30 seconds away from the house. And they have an LGBTQ community. Um, that is led by uh, Cole, Cole Pepper, and uh, she's brilliant, she's excellent, absolutely brilliant. We, we actually, they were in D.C. Um, during the march, uh, what was that, last two months ago? Mm -hmm. You know, when, um, unfortunately, I couldn't join them, but we, uh, we tend to, uh, to, you know, to do a lot of things for the LGBTQ youth, you know, uh, put together actions and programs, and as much as I can, I try to, uh, to help, because, uh, I, I mean, I think it's, it's important, you know, uh, I, I, I remember, you know, we live in Harlem, and despite what they say, I think Harlem is a black neighborhood. <laughs> uh, and, and I really, <laughs> and, uh, and they, and you know, I've been, I, how can I explain that? I, I love being part of the community, my community, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if I, if I come back, you know, I won't have it any other way. Because, you know, and the fact that Alibi is here, I realize now because you know when you're so consumed by, by the business by or by you know an activity, you lose perspective. And um, before Alibi, I remember that you know when you're black, going to LGBT person before going to a to a bar, you will have to to go to presumably white. Uh, on bars with white owned um, white customers and maybe we, know, we know about that in DC Alexis but you can we definitely understand <laughs> seems to be we had to go four hours away to New York to find uh, you know so yeah <laughs> actually I was turned, I was turned away in DC I remember at a, at a, at a bar they, they didn't let me in I never forgot that <laughs> and I swear I will never go back to a, to a, a gay bar in DC but in any case, in New York, um, we had a place, it's a story that's coming back to mind right now, we had a place called G Lounge back in the day. Um, and every Friday, the, the, you know, the uh, urban night, um, and we, we and then the bar, that bar closed, and they reopened about a month or two after Alibi opened. And when they reopened, it was new management, new name, and, you know, our people found, okay, I'm going to go back there because they reopened, maybe on Friday, Friday's going to be the same. And clearly, clearly, uh, actually, because of the disturb, they were not as welcome as before. You know, they weren't even trying to hide it. <laughs> they were really being letting them, uh, letting people wait on the street in the winter for you know for yeah, it was it was ridiculous. So uh, you know, and this is where you, know, you realize like okay, a place like Alibi needs to stay and needs to be here because otherwise. You have to endure the, the humiliation, the embarrassment to have to go all the way downtown or midtown and you know, listening to uh, Lady Gaga, we don't have nothing against her, but, you know, or humanitarians. While, you know, because there's no other choice if there was no other buyer. So this is the, 
the reason why you know I, I, I couldn't be prouder that we, we managed to survive to stay and that I'm, and I have to give it props to them uh, we have a second black owned LGBTQ uh, bar that opened recently down the street from Alibi in Harlem so uh, it's called Lenda Lounge and uh, it's a young gay couple uh, that I've known for years because I worked with them when they were still just at that time doing uh, a vodka and four years later they also now have uh, a bar and I think it's the beginning of something you know it's the beginning of something now that you have two LGBTQ establishment in Harlem. Can you imagine? Wow. <laughs> um, it, it, I it's think just that's a, I want to stop with, I want to stay with that because that's important. Do you mentor? I'm sorry, Jamar and Jimmy. I, this is the mentorship piece. Once he mentioned it and we spoke about it, I didn't know, but I wanted to, did you, do you think that that's something important or is it kind of, did that just kind of happen? So did you know that you're going to be mentoring them into opening up their own bar or did you, did you kind of, that just happen based on it? I, I've, I've, yes, uh, yes, because it, it's something that I've, I've been doing from day one. Um, I, I created with, um, it was even your, over, your previous question, there's an organization called Strive International, and I I contacted them before I even opened Alibi. I contacted them and I said, I told them that I was going to open a, a business, and I wanted to talk about inclusivity. I wanted to uh, create a program where young black men or women between the age of 18 and 18, 24, if I remember correctly, or could come and, um, you know, work and learn a trade at, at Alibi. I was willing to, to uh, in, in what form, fashion, shape we could do it. And there's a lady, it's always ladies, there's a lady called, um, oh, she's gonna uh, kill me. <laughs> uh, uh, it's it, like, so we, we worked together and we created with the city of New York a program where you know people could get training in uh, the hospitality and industry paid by the city and then Alibi will hire them for about 12 weeks paid by the city as well and after 12 weeks either they could stay with me or go on having you know uh, learn you know uh, in practice what they did in school all of this paid by the city of New York so it, it, it's brilliant and the program still exists um, but it's been extended to now all the businesses, uh, all the restaurants and bars of Harlem. So I've always wanted to mentor, uh, uh, you know, young kids to to learn to learn that it was possible. Because I think it's important for us that in our neighborhood, uh, in Harlem, for instance, we we become we, we take over. You know, we become uh, we become stronger. We, we we generate wealth. We 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 create employment for us by us. Uh, 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 so, and, and, and that's the that's the main thing. So these these, these two guys, when they came to me, I don't know if I should on, on the radio, but when they came to me um, and they were selling their vodka at the time, they didn't have any distributors. I said to them, I said, okay, listen, yes, it's kind of illegal, but <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take your vodka in and I'll, I'll sell it, and you know, and we we'll put we we'll put you out there. Um, every year, I do fundraising for uh, various um, LGBT organizations around the world, and I remember I put them on, uh, on the red carpet. We put, we created, a, you know, we put a logo on the standard a bit, um, so that you know they could get some uh, visibility. And I'm, I couldn't be happier to see that it didn't go to waste. But four years later, they actually expanded, and now they have. A, a, it's a beautiful place, uh, a beautiful place. It's different than me, and that's what actually. 
uh, is great is that people have another option and and you know um it, it, it creates an identity it creates a, uh, people stop noticing the fact that oh you know what in harlem he's not uh, alone anymore and if he's not alone that means things probably are going well so hey you know uh you know, that's you're, brilliant you're, I can, you're I, what they call a grand bar owner so that's awesome <laughs> I become the granddaddy of of Harlem. Harlem Renaissance. So um, I know that the time is close. So I think. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna no. We have some questions from the audience. I think. Um, we do. We have some Q and A from the audience. Yes. Let's see. Derek, did you learn how to do the Q and A? I don't see you. Uh-uh. Okay. So I have the question. One of the questions is, and um, forgive me, I hate to be looking away, but mm. you kind of touched on this. So I think we had a question from uh, what advice would you tell future owners of uh, establishment of business to help prepare them for an event of a crisis like this? Um, what was the thought of question here? <laughs> Instagram really that's what keeps me going I have to say it, it's the thing that the, the, the love that we receive then I want to thank also Derek who uh, has put all this together who has been very patient with me and <laughs> on a more personal note that I called a very early morning and uh, <laughs> I kept on the phone for a very long time and he knows what I'm talking about I want to thank you very very much from the bottom of my heart to be there for another brother and again uh, you know you guys you're more than welcome to come to Harlem at any time. We're on 139 and Adaptation Tower. We're open. I was going to say 7 but no. We're open seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes, you know, we can't wait to. to uh, and we'll be here. You know, we'll, we'll be here for a very long time. Uh, and I can't wait for anyone, you know, to meet everybody that just comes through the doors of Azerbaijan. It's my greatest pleasure in life. Thank you so much, guys. And Derek, thank, thank you, you so you. much. Jamal, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Jamal, and thank you, Jameer, of course, Alexi. Thank you to everybody who tuned in, shared this video. We had a good amount of shares, jeez. Um, this is our, this is the Gay Freshman of Colors' first live video program, but it's not our first program. We've been in this community a while, and we appreciate supporting black businesses. Jamal is wearing uh, Chief Daddy Prince's uh, Midas. You know, we support, again, Raheem. Yes, that's about mm-hmm. We support Raheem Briggs and his Project Briggs once again on Monday the night. Check that out. Definitely, if you're in the New York area, stop by the Alibi Lounge. Um, it's, I, I think I, I, I definitely will have to stop by after going to Sylvia's. <laughs> um, that is my spot. Definitely check out Jamal and Jameer's podcast. And, um, and you know, they have some very, some very, uh, Topics, man, some good topics. This day when they combine, I'll just say this. Now, if you're not in the LGBT community, cover years, but they talked about when do you and your partner share your porn? And I said, Michael, you know, Jamia come with the questions. Listen, I come with the questions. I come with the questions. Um, you know, definitely check out those podcasts and definitely continue to support. And um, we thank you all. I don't know if there's a way to end this, so I'm just going to say, uh. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. Make sure you you subscribe. GPMC.
Thank you, Derek. Tuning in. Thank, Thank you, Alexi. You, Alexi. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye.